Well, good morning. Uh, we are going to have a, a report this morning from our team that went to family camp, Johnny and Friends family camp. And there we are, sweet. Um, so uh, for those of you that don't know about Johnny and Friends, um, it is a retreat for families who have been affected by disability. So each one of those families has at least one person who has had some sort of disability, whether it's emotional, mental, or physical. And um, we've started going to Johnny and Friends about five years ago with a little hiccup last year. And uh, it has been just an otherworldly kind of an experience. So uh, we're going to share this morning, and then I'm going to follow that up with our message. And uh, at this point, I am going to invite... Linda and Bruce Moyer to come on up. Uh, good news, uh, we got to camp, and apparently Bruce and Linda had different addresses on their uh, paperwork, and so we were really concerned that they weren't getting along or living together anymore. Turns out it was just a little mistake uh, administratively, so they're getting along, and it's good to have them this morning. Maureen and I did our best to care for Kiara for those five days. We ended up loving this nonverbal girl. But what impressed us most was Eugene and Marilyn. They were the great aunt and uncle. It was actually Eugene's brother's granddaughter who was given to them at six months with these disabilities. Um, they, were old, they were in their early 60s, so you can do the math. So here they are taking care of this totally dependent Kiara and never once did they complain or even get a hint of things being difficult. They spoke frequently of the blessings of the Lord. And so after my five days of caring for Kiara, I felt like I was the one who was truly blessed. So thank you for that opportunity. Good morning. I'm Bruce Moyer. I had the pleasure of serving with this group at Johnny and Friends week three earlier this summer. I want to thank you for your prayers and support for, for me and this group of this mission ministry. Uh, this, this year was the second, my second experience with a wheelchair-bound, now 40-year-old man named Bob. We both enjoyed a better experience this year. I think we had a good experience two years ago, my first experience there, but I believe we were both more comfortable this year. He was more willing participant and seemed like all the activities, whether it was games, singing, Bible lessons, or crafts with our Impact 2 group. Most everybody at camp knows that he has a special relationship with another camper, Melissa. Their relationship has been developing over the last 13 or 14 years. He has been at Johnny and Friends. He has such an interest that he could barely hold back on the first evening, Monday evening, finding an appropriate time to give her a friendship ring he had bought for her. Well, he, he had been back at Spruce Lake for a whole three hours. This was a very special week for both of them as they reconnected with each other and others. And they're already, well, at the end of the week, they're already looking forward to meeting again next year. I can only imagine how difficult it must be as 
for them as they only get to see each other in person two or three times a year. Once uh, Bob and uh, once a year, Melissa would, would visit Bob in Connecticut where Bob lives and maybe once a year, Bob and his father might visit Melissa in Lancaster area. Otherwise, they connect mostly by phone calls and text. I want to take a little time to express how impressive it is to see the camp in action. There's an almost seamless transition. In the mornings after opening the program, there are five or six groups moving around camp, all going different ways for different activities. I am impressed by the cooperation, concern, and the love of Christ evident throughout the days. This resonates through the camp experience, and many families are blessed, even as we are blessed, sharing and receiving the love of Christ. Thank you again for your support. And now, <laughs> and now you don't see me, you see Alyssa Pazut. So now I'm a, a young teenager with long blonde hair, for those of you that make, need to make that connection. But she writes, I was very nervous going into my week at Johnny and Friends as it was my first time having to room with someone random and having no girls in our particular group. God really used this week to grow me through others and to learn to be more comfortable in my surroundings. I was so blessed to have an amazing family and it really touched me how often they expressed how much it meant for them to be able to be at camp again after missing last year. My camper was amazing, and it was great to see him grow more comfortable with me during the week, and even one day asked his grandmom during my break when I would be back to play with him. That really made me feel important and making an impact on their family, even though I wasn't working directly with an individual with a disability. A special moment during the week was the talent show, when one of the campers sang, he's got the whole world in his hands, it touched me how she related it to her life and to the difficulties others were going through. It was a great reminder of the unity we always feel at camp. Thank you. attending a Johnny and Friends week. Because I, had been trips, because I had been on trips in the past, I knew generally how the week would go. But with COVID and having camp canceled last year, I was a bit nervous what it would look like this year. Would it, we be missing a lot of people? Would masks be a big issue? Would it feel as meaningful and genuine as usual? But to no surprise, it went as awesome as it always has. This year was the first time I didn't work with someone in our group. Another man named Mike and I were matched up with a young man named William. We spent our week playing games, singing songs, dancing, and eating great food. I had a great time getting to know Will and his family, Mike, and all the other STMs we got to work with. We all had a lot of fun and built great relationships. Every year you go into the week expecting to serve the families there, but each time as the week ends, you realize that they end up serving you just as much. This week never disappoints, and it's the closest thing to heaven on earth you'll find. 
I was very much I very much enjoyed our trip and I encourage anyone who might be curious to join us next year. Thank you everyone for your prayers and support. Uh, hello, my name is Lincoln Wagner, if you don't know me. And uh, this is my first week, uh, first week of uh, Giant Friends. Um, and I was able to run, I didn't have a camper this week. I ran games with a couple of the people, and which was nice for me because I got to know people and make more connections than just seeing like one person out the whole week. I got to uh, meet a lot of different campers and see how they had their week. And um, um, this week I noticed a lot of different things. Yes, these people have disabilities, but when you see them doing one specific thing, um, it kind of gives them like gives them just joy, just that like not just joy like oh like oh you're happy or something like that, joy just the pure definition of joy. And some of those things were um, so I didn't catch some of the names, but there was a blind man when he was singing. Um, other people like Nathan, he was dancing. Tim when he was using uh, videos. Uh, to help the camp, uh, Bob and Missy being with each other, BJ with his crafts, Josh doing games and sports, and Sophia singing. And um, during the talent show on Thursday night, I think, um, there was one group who came out with signs on what they were, uh, like before and after, like meeting God. And some of them were like being lost to found, selfish to compassionate, insecure to social, depressed and joyful. And uh, you may think, well, like, you may know someone who's the, like, very Christ-like or something. These are the most Christ-like people I've ever met in my entire life. No doubt about it. And um, uh, one other thing I noticed was when a uh, kid named Tanner was singing, he comes down after he finished his uh, performance at the town show, a kid named Nathan, Nathan came up to him and congratulated him after he was kind of just like conducting him a little bit at the end. And the most powerful thing I think I saw the whole week was the person who finished the talent show, uh, Sophia, she finished the, uh, her song with a little speech and um, actually I can't like say a word for it now, but um, kind of just saying like, life's gonna get hard, it's gonna have difficulties and you're gonna prevail through them, which was very helpful for me at that time. And yeah, thank you. Hi, my name is Lincoln Aaron. As you can probably tell, I went to Johnny and Friends this summer. It was my third year, and I was partnered up with the Lang family, specifically a boy named Cargan. My dad will talk about them more later. What I'm going to talk about are the other campers, mainly a guy named Nathan. Nathan is a few years older than me, and he has autism. Every morning after breakfast, we go into the sanctuary and sing. Nathan likes to sing, a lot, loudly. He gets a little off key, but it's great. Each time we started singing, he would join in pretty quickly. He even climbed up on the stage one time and worked with the worship leader to make the song much better. <laughs> because of that, it was weird coming back and singing in church. Not hearing the many voices of people like Nathan sing al singing along was eerie. I half expected Nathan to run into the sanctuary and start singing. Another time that the campers would sing was the dance. Down in the tennis court, we had a fun night of dancing to songs. I didn't see a single person not having a good time. Each and every camper there was going crazy doing the chicken dance and the cha-cha slide. 
I'm no dancer, but I still joined in. It was like it was calling to me. Cargan also danced with us, which was crazy because he's the kind of guy to hang out on the bench and just watch people. This is where I come to my point. The campers don't care. They will sing, they will dance, they will have the time of their life hanging out with everyone. Embarrassment doesn't seem to exist for them. Sometimes I wish I had this ability. The only reason I, and I'm guessing Cargan too, was able to join in was because the, the community of people at Johnny and Friends are so non-judgmental. No one cares if you can't dance. No one cares if you're off-key. They just want you to join in. Everyone loves it there, including me, and that's why I'm looking forward to going again next year. Hi, I'm Kevin, for the, any of you who don't know me. Uh, I'm, I go from a little different perspective than the rest of the group here, as in we've been going to Johnny and Friends Camp, my wife, for over 25 years with my son, Ken, you know, as, as campers. So going as an STM, this is the second time I've done that. I did it five, four or five years ago. Uh, I get a lot of different observations, and you know, everything that they said, you know, I can attest to. A uh, couple observations I have also. Bruce and Linda were there for their 48th anniversary. You know, they take their anniversary week and they go to camp. Now that's, you know, that's the kind of service you got. Uh, you've got people there that last year were devastated by not getting to go. And there were a lot of them who were devastated this year because they couldn't go because the camp was smaller. So, you know, this is a very important program to a lot of families. And I was glad to be able to be a part of it. I wasn't doing a, speci a specific camper. I was with the Impact 2 group, which is the older adults with disabilities, as just an extra person in the, in the room to help. But you know, regardless of what people are there doing, they're doing it with the love of the Lord in their hearts. And that's also building into the families with people with disabilities, most of which are solid Christians. Many, but some of them really don't know the Lord or just have a very shallow relationship. And this gives them more of an opportunity to be ministered to by the family of God. So I really appreciate the church supporting the, the Johnny and Friends ministry through sending a group uh, like they did this year. Thank you. That perspective from Kevin, who's been ministered to. Um, well, as I've mentioned quite a few to quite a few recently in all my years of ministry, this really is probably the most impactful trip that I've taken people, students on, um, and it's it really is difficult. I mean, we hear words, uh, but I sound really loud to myself. Um, you know, it's it really is hard to put into words what what really happens, you know? You can't really fully explain something. Um, but, I would, but I'd put it this way. Um, it's a people trip. It's a people trip. It's a relational trip where we get to rub shoulders with, with different people that, that have been formed into the likeness of Christ. And um, these particular people, they just have to receive grace 
in ways that I don't have to. I don't have those same struggles. And, and I think that's part of it. It kind of blows our mind that people can live joyfully with the kind of challenges that they have. Imagine having a kid in a wheelchair that's nonverbal. They, they will never talk to you. They can't tell you what they need, right? It's, there's something that just kind of grabs you um, in here. Well, I'm going to uh, share a little bit about... Yes. All right. This is a picture of the Lang family. That's the whole family in the middle and a couple pictures from camp. And I want to give you a little bit of background to my story this year. Uh, Griffin and I served with the Lang family first year, then we missed a year, and then Lincoln and I picked up with, the, with Cargan uh, the following three years now. And over the course of these, these few years, we've gotten to know the Langs um, and maintained a, a relationship over time, over, a, you know, not just at camp, but, but uh, via phone and texting. Um, Dad, Peter, Mom, Daphne, they had one natural-born daughter and then adopted a son from Taiwan. And then they followed that up by adopting three more children with special needs from China. And it really has been our joy to serve them, to get to know them. And uh, about a year and a half ago, um, Peter, 53, was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, metastasized to his liver. And so for the last year and a half, uh, he has been exhausting every treatment to try and beat that cancer. Well, on July 31st, two days before camp this year, one day before his son Cargan's birthday, he lost that battle, leaving behind his wife, Daphne, and his kids. Peter was the sole breadwinner. They lost their insurance. It's like a gut punch. So we're heading into camp, feeling all this weight, trying to, trying to go and show up and, oh, let's be joyful under this dark cloud. Um, but what happened in the next few days really is a testimony to the power of love and grace poured out through a messy community that we've, we've heard some stories about, desperate people holding on to Jesus. The Langs still came to camp, and it was, it was amazing to just see how people gathered around them. Mom Daphne was able to reconnect with people, departed friends who, who had walked with them through all their adoptions, and now those established relationships walked her through some grief. And in the midst of her grief, she knew that her kids would be whisked away. To, to be able to have some fun. We had tender conversations and healing hugs. We had some grief therapy at the lunch and ping pong tables. One evening we had a dance. We had all the kids grooving and rolling and laughing around together, which really is no small feat, as Lincoln had mentioned, given the circumstances and the kids and some of our introverted nature. Uh, we even danced to that ridiculous YMCA song, my least favorite song in the whole world. It's not fun to stay at the YMCA. It's just not. It's not. It's not true. All the while, I would catch glimpses of Daphne up on the hill, 
overlooking. Um, and I can just imagine. I didn't, I didn't ask her what she was thinking, but I could see her kind of stealing away. Somebody walk up and put their arm around her and chat with her, and we were just going bonkers down there and having fun. It was a short slice of community at camp for the Langs, but we were able to find joy under that dark cloud. And it seems <clears throat> that the best way and perhaps the only way to get through the trouble of life is with an enduring faith in King Jesus and a committed community. I'm going to look at uh, John 16, a couple verses here, as I reflected on the happenings of this last month. Let's pray before we look. Jesus, as we meditate on your ancient words given to us by you, the ancient word, we ask that you'd speak life to our hearts this morning. Lord, we're more desperate to hear from you than we even know. Will you help us in our weakness? Would you help us to surrender our will, to let down our guard, keeps us from you, keeps us from each other? As an act of our will, we open ourselves to you. Ask that you'd shepherd our hearts this morning. Amen. Well, John 16, 32 and 33 says, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's important to understand the context around these verses. Jesus was, of course, talking to his disciples and warning them yet again of the turbulence that they would be facing in the next three days in particular and beyond. We know that they're going to panic and run in the face of fear and anxiety. Brash, brave, outspoken Peter would flat out lie multiple times, resorting to fearfully denying even knowing his Lord in the face of that danger. Jesus tells them in verse 32 that they will scatter and desert him leaving him to face the most painful, humiliating death known to man without them as they retreat for fear, in fear, to go home. But even in all of this, notice that Jesus doesn't panic. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't shame them for their lack of faith. He treats them with grace. He brings a non-anxious presence and he reassures them He's, he's thinking about what, what they're going to see when he's gone. How are they going to handle this? He reassures them that he's not going to face this death on his own, that his father will be with him. In essence, he said, I understand. I know you'll be scared. You're going to find yourself running and hiding and lying, and you're going to leave me, but please know that I'll be okay. I'll be okay. My father will be with me. And I, I can't help but notice that there's no ill will. There's no shame. There's no, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps from Jesus. Just an understanding and compassion of how difficult life is about to be. 
God's sovereign and able to accomplish all that it is all that is best in spite of what things look like on the surface. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. He doesn't say that I've told you these things so that you may have peace. He qualifies this statement with in me, in Christ. Just knowing that they will desert him and scatter and that Jesus still loves them wasn't going to be enough to get through, right? He wants to reassure his disciples that he's up to something. That it might look like one thing, but it's a whole different other thing. That this isn't some resignation that the world is messed up and they're just going to, you know, we gave it a shot. We gave it a shot and the plan came up short. No, no. Jesus is saying that despite what it looks like on the surface, despite the fact that he'll be hanging naked on a shameful Roman cross, despite the disciples scattering and rejecting him and lying and running, despite the Romans claiming victory and mocking him as the king of the Jews, Jesus will win over his father's world in an upside-down, overwhelming victory that will play itself out from his resurrection to the time that King Jesus returns to renew all things and to reign with truth and justice. So if the disciples will only trust him and trust that all of this will happen, they too can find victory in Jesus. Not in their own strength, not in pulling themselves up by the bootstraps, but in Jesus' victory they'll be able to experience the same peace that we were singing about earlier in the midst of all of it. Jesus had spoken of the challenging days ahead, and he's so intent on encouraging his disciples that he, he even calls his shot and claim victory over the world before things even played out, knowing what he was going to face. Friends, our world is no match for our king. latter part of verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus is holding things in contrast here, isn't he? Trouble and conflict is the fruit of this world. Trouble and conflict is going to find, our, find itself to us. In this world, we can expect chaos relational and physical death as people fight over power and influence and money. We prayed about it this morning, right? We can expect people to act on the evil that's stored up in their hearts. It's a reality. Selfishness, war, disease, clamoring for rights and the like. These were the realities of the world that the disciples in Jesus' day lived with. And they're the same realities that we live with. But here's how Jesus responds. Take heart. Cheer up. Be encouraged. Lift your chins up. Don't freak out. Don't overreact. Do not despair. Why? Because King Jesus was about to and did indeed defeat the enemy on the cross. Jesus is in essence saying that the war for earth is about to be won for good. Little by little, God will partner with us. 
and works sovereignly to, to bring everything under his good rule. That's the narrative of Scripture. That is the truth of the gospel, the good news of King Jesus. And I know it doesn't always look like that, does it? Is that your lived experience? Does it look like the kingdom of God is winning all over the place these days? No. Of course it doesn't. But he is. Somehow, he is. As God's people, that is our hope. That is what we put our faith in, despite what our eyes see. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, when Jesus took upon himself the weight of the world's sin, when he burst through death itself into God's new creation, and already, when he decisively challenged the power of corruption, decay, and death in healing the cripple, the man born blind, and Lazarus, in and through all these things, he was not just proving a point by winning a victory. He was not just proving a point, but winning a victory. Not just setting an example, but establishing a new reality. King Jesus overcame the world at Calvary. In spite of the trouble the disciples saw with their own earthly eyes, it was victory. Our enemy didn't even realize what was going on. (laughs) It's hard to keep the perspective that Jesus won and that we are perfectly safe, though. At least it is for me. Anybody else? When we look at the realities of life, I shared this before, but um, this really hits kind of real close to home. This, this line in Lord of the Rings in which Bal- Bilbo tells Gandalf that I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. And I feel like that right now. I see people that feel like that right now. I'm in a room with a bunch of people that feel that right now. I'm a peacemaker in a world that's manufacturing war. There's conflict over everything under the sun, and it's taking a toll on my heart and my mind. These past few weeks have been filled with unexpected grief, death of a dear friend, and a difficult funeral. Conflict, loss, anger, being misunderstood, gossip and fear, disunity, mental health challenges in God's people, more death, another funeral, more grief and conflict, more of the trouble that Jesus warned me about. And I know I need renewal. The other day, we had two things happen in the house, right? The joys of homeownership. I always think about that when it's 20 degrees, the wind's blowing, I'm trying to snow blow. Ah, yes. Joys of homeownership. I'm going to move into that 55 Alive community pretty quick. We tried that when we first came down, but so it didn't work. Um, so we had a mishap with our garage door. Came off kilter, stuck open. Grr. Then we had a, a storm that resulted in a lot of water in our basement, a lot of emptying that dehumidifier, 
And I'd like to say that I would have handled that better in less stressful times, but I tried to pay attention to my emotions. And I realized that my emotional margin, um, my emotional margin is pretty thin these days. Given that stretch, I realize and I feel I'm like right there. I noticed anger and contempt just lurking, right? Maybe you can, maybe you can uh, empathize there. Because my first response with the door, my first response with the, with the basement was anger and contempt. Some of it was just on me. Like, I'm an idiot. Why did I, why did I leave that thing there? What an idiot. Why didn't I close the window? I look for somebody to blame in my mind, and rather than recognizing that this is, you know, this is just the world's offering of trouble and Jesus' invitation to grow up, grow up, Wes. Trust me, we're going to take care of this. That's why there are dehumidifiers. That's why there are people that fix garage doors. Call them, they take care of things like that. I wish I had a better response but I didn't. I paid attention to that. I ran across a timely quote this week as I worked on my sermon. And I think it kind of fits with how I was feeling and, and the situation that I was in. We all have scapegoats. They operate as a diversion from the deeper interior work the Spirit is inviting us into. Who or what needs to be hated, punished, or ruined in order for you to feel good? You'd be surprised how mentally and emotionally holding on to a scapegoat scapegoat for various reasons freezes our deeper growth and healing in God. I think Dan kind of nailed me right between the eyes with that. I was looking for a scapegoat rather than doing the harder work internally, right? What's, what's actually going on here? What's actually happening in my heart? What am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of a bill. I'm afraid I'm going to have to rip out all this carpet. I don't know how that carpet's going to be replaced, right? As I think and I meditate on that, there's more to me freaking out, isn't there? I'm missing that deep interior work. It really wasn't about the door or closing the window. It was about me being able to see my true character. What comes out when the pressure's on? That's who I am. That's who I am. Not what I do. That's who I am. And I don't like what I saw. I don't like the self-talk in my mind. I have an ongoing need for transformation in my life. If I was going to continue on that road of blaming others, it's going to freeze me up. My heart's going to grow cold. Not a good place to be and not where I want to be and not where I'm going to stay. But I think it's important that when, when those things happen that we, we actually pay attention and make change. Thankfully, Jesus hasn't given up on me. 
But I want to confess to you this morning that I've not done a great job of caring for my soul in this, this last month. It's been one thing after another, after another, after another. I couldn't remove a whole lot of it. But I probably could do some things differently in relying on Jesus instead of my own flesh. Instead of trying to be this or be that for other people that it, it, the, the batteries are low. And I know we have to go through some of these stretches, right? We, God challenges us. We end up in this broken world, and, and you got to deal with stuff. But I've been too busy. I've been harried. I've been grieving the loss of my friend. Anxious about what God's doing. Wondering how he's going to bring good out of all the challenge and chaos and conflict. Much of what I see with my human eyes looks a lot more like the enemy winning. I have a feeling that when Jesus died on that cross, even his disciples, there was something there like, I know he said this is a win, but it does not look like a win, does it? Didn't look like a win then. And that's where our faith, we don't have eyes to see, we don't have faith eyes quite to see all the time. And I think we get things a little murky. So I'm running around scattering and scapegoating in my anger and fear. Um, But I want to receive the Spirit's call and invitation to do that deeper work of transformation. And so my intent this week is to make more time for Sabbath, for silence and solitude in the midst of another busy week. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know if you can relate to any of that craziness. I know some of you can because I've spoken with you. But I want to end our time with a couple reflection questions and then I'm going to pray. But here's the question. Where are you? Are you taking heart, trusting that Jesus has overcome this world? In living in that peaceful reality? Or are you losing heart? Finding yourself grasping for control or scapegoating others in your fear and your anger or whatever issue you have got bubbling up? Jesus' invitation to us this morning, friends, is to take heart. That doesn't mean pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It means there's work to do. It means there's brakes to put on. It means there's some hard work of sitting and being quiet and getting in his word and praying and pouring your heart out and listening. Listening for his perspective There's nothing to fear. Jesus has already overcome the world. That's the good news of the gospel. I need it to sink down. (laughs) We need it to sink down. Let's pray. Lord, we don't really need a whole lot of reminder that we live in a troubled world, a world full of people who want to be their own God, On our bad days, we too fall into this trap. 
Will you please protect us from those outside forces that seek to ruin us? And would you also show us the corners of our own hearts that you want to unfreeze and heal? We ask for the gift of repentance, that we would turn back to you, so you can empower us to be transformed by the power of your Spirit as we walk in trusting obedience. Thank you for your relentless pursuit of us, Jesus. Thank you that you don't shame us, that you understand, of all people you understand, and you call us back to your table. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your amazing love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.